Today we are looking at the book of Romans. Um, as we were saying, Boston by far, one of my favorite uh, books in the Bible, especially these verses, uh, because it's, if you know me well, my heart is apologetics, and one of my favorite apologists is Cornelius Van Til, and he oftentimes quotes this verse, um, and I think it also speaks to the condition and the way our world is. If you look at this verses in Romans 1, you will see a lot of what we are seeing today. So this verse is uh, particularly special and uh, interesting to me. So uh, we are looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, or if you have in a bulletin, you can see it there. The Word of God says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to do the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this word. I thank you for this warning, but also thank you for your son Christ, who through him and by him we are, we are renewed, we are saved, and we're given life. And as our brother Joe so eloquently explained, we are being sanctified and renewed through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the accomplishment of Christ and whom you have sent on our behalf that we may have eternal life. I pray that this word do not just become knowledge, but also life. That we not become just hearers of your word, but we also become doers of your word. For the glory of your name, amen. In 1966, Time Magazine printed out an article, and on the front of the article they had the question, Is God dead? They were asking this question because they were wondering, have we reached a point in our society where God is no longer needed? Have we advanced scientifically, morally, psychologically, where God or religion is no longer needed? Fast forward to our time today, they're no longer asking the question whether or not God is dead they are affirming in their minds that God is dead. And we no longer need God, religion, and especially Christianity. And I want to show today that even though men are trying to live without God, they cannot help but to live with God or to live for God. And I have uh, these verses here that I want to show. And the Apostle Paul begins to build this argument. So picture this as a court scene where you have God and you have man 
and God is bringing in a charge against man. And so verse 18 is the beginning of where God begins to charge man of their sin. And what he comes to conclusion is that sin is a universal thing because all of us are guilty of sin. And the Apostle Paul begins from verse 18 of, of chapter 1 of Romans all the way up to chapter 3 laying out his arguments. And unfortunately, we all are guilty. But he begins in verse 18 by explaining the genesis of his case and why that is so. So in verse 18, the Apostle Paul reminds men that what is the cause of their wrath? Why is God bringing about his wrath? And the first thing he accuses man is they are suppressors of the truth. They have suppressed the truth and the knowledge that God has given them. And God has given mankind the truth that he exists. And what they are doing in this sense, they are suppressing that truth. Because man is made in the image of God, they have a certain type of knowledge. God has given them a revelation. And that is that he exists. God has placed his knowledge of himself in the heart of man. So what they are actually doing here, they are suppressing the awareness that they know that God exists. And the Apostle Paul begins by saying, you know that God exists, but you're suppressing that knowledge. So man has been giving an awareness of God. Everybody knows God. There's not a single person in this universe, no, no matter what race, color, gender, background, economically, educational, who does not know God. All men know God. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the, the writer says that God has placed eternity into man's heart. We have an awareness of eternity. We have an awareness of the heavens. We have an awareness of our spiritual reality. We're both made physical beings and spiritual beings. We have an awareness in a sense of creation, but we also have an awareness in a sense of the heavenlies, of the spiritual aspect. So Herman Bavik kind of lays this out when he says this, yearning for eternal order for which God has planted in the heart of man in the innermost recess of his being and the core of his personality is a cause of the inspeakable fact that everything which belongs to the temporal order cannot satisfy man. He is, he is in a sensory earthly, limited, and immoral being, and yet he is attracted to the eternal, and he is, dis, and he is disdained for it. It is of no profit for, to a man that he should gain a wife and the children, a house and a field, treasures and property, or indeed the whole world, if in gaining his soul should suffer loss. So here, Herman Bavik is laying out that although we are made for this earth, our ultimate happiness and joy and satisfaction comes from God. And the reason that is, is because we are made in his image. We're made with a spiritual knowledge of his existence. 
And this means that we were created for God. Not only are we created in the image of God and for God, but we're created to worship God. God made us so that we can be satisfied in him. And Bible continues and says, God and God alone is man's highest good. The first question of the Shorter Catechism, which we long, long time ago spoke about, says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The Apostle Paul is telling us in the same sense that we were made for God's pleasure. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. And the problem that lies is that man no longer wants to be made in the image of God. They don't want to, no longer want to be satisfied in God. So what this means is we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to somebody else. You know, when you look at a, a product, you know, a piece of clothing or shoes, it tells you where it's manufactured. When you look at ourselves, it says that we were manufactured and made by God. And therefore, we were created for his purpose. But here's what led the problems. Mankind doesn't want to see God as ultimate. They don't want to be satisfied in him. They don't want longer to be made in the image of God. They're rebellion against all that is true. And the Apostle Paul in this verse continues by saying, what is the cause of the suppression? Because they know it clearly. And Paul gives the answer, it is sin. Sin is the reason why we suppress the truth about God. So mankind is willing to exchange the truth of God for their sin. They're willing to exchange God for their sin. And what they know about God, they are suppressing. And what is it that they're suppressing? Well, the Apostle Paul gives the answer in verse 19 by saying they suppress the truth that God exists. God then is accusing mankind of denying his existence. The famous atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell, when he was asked, what would you do if you were to stand in front of God in the presence of the Lord after you die? His response was, I probably would say, sir, why didn't you not give me better evidence? But the Bible is clear that God's knowledge and existence is clear. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invincible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and that things that have been made so they are without excuse. Psalms 19 verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God the sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So God is clearly revealed in creation. Creation testifies of a creator. There is not enough evidence to show that there is no God and that this world is just a product of some random event at the Big Bang, Big Bang, Big Bang Theory. There's more evidence 
to prove that God exists than there is that he does not exist. Creation is too ordered and too structured to be some, some random event. It is too perfect for it to be just some kind of big band that just happened out of nowhere. The evidence is overwhelming that God exists and it's true. And it's so overwhelming that the Bible says this in Psalm 41. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Meaning you're unwise, you're stupid for claiming that there is no God. But the question is, why? Why is it that people continue to deny that God exists? Well, that same Psalm 14, he tells us the answer. They are corrupt. They are do abominable deeds, and there is no and there is none who does good. The corruption of man's heart leads us then to deny that God exists. And this is what Paul tells us in verse 18 when he says, Who by the unrighteousness suppress the truth? Because mankind loves sin, they deny that God exists. The Apostle John points that out when he says this in John 3.19. I know that we, when we think about John 3, we always think about John 3.16, but there are all those verses in John 3. And look what he says. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their heart works are evil. Verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light least his works should be exposed. Because of man's love for sin, they hate the light. They would rather be in darkness instead of being in the light. So what, they, so what they're doing is they're running away from God. And they're doing it by loving their sin. It's not because God is not... It, it's not because there's not of evidence of God's existence. It's because God has... It's not because God has sought and cannot be found, but rather, when confronted with the truth of God's existence, they seek to hide it, obstruct it, its influence, and deny its reality. So sin is a root cause of man's denial of God. It's not because God is hidden somewhere. It's not because he's not, he can't be found. It's not because there's enough evidence. It's because they love their sin. And this is why Paul tells them, you cannot claim then ignorance. You cannot go to God and say, Lord, you didn't give me better evidence. Because the Apostle Paul used the word here, he says, without excuse. Now the Greek word for excuse is where we get the word apologia, which we translate our English word apologetic, which means a defense, to give a defense. But here, the unbeliever is unable to give a defense. He doesn't have enough evidence to disprove that God does not exist. So the evidence is actually contrary to them. So if, if they were going, if so Bertrand Russell, I would imagine he already did that already, went to God and said, Lord, here's my evidence for the reason why you don't exist. God says, not sufficient. I have left enough evidence to you. So then the Apostle Paul continues, and as a result, they do not honor God. Verse 21, look what it says. 
For though they know God, so Paul here is affirming, for though they know God, that they don't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I don't like the ESV version on this word honor, but another translation, it means to glorify. Instead of glorifying God, they did not glorify him. And here the Apostle Paul says, to give thanks. People are ungrateful. Look at how society today, people are angry and upset and hostile. And what they should be thankful? God gave them a beautiful creation. This world is beautiful. He gave us a sunset. He gave us rain. He gave us sunshine. He gave us weather. He gave us all this creation. So instead of looking at that and glorifying God for it, we become ungrateful. We, we become egotistic. We assume that God, that this all this creation is just a random act of events. And not only has God given us creation, but he's given us the ability to enjoy creation, our five senses. We have been gifted with the sight to see, the ears to hear beautiful music, the eyes to see beautiful scenery, the, the, the touch to taste great food, as you can tell for me. The ability to feel and to touch and to sense and to feel everything and to sense creation. God made this world for us to enjoy. But instead of giving thanks, we, dis- we deny him and instead worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And then, Paul, and then the Apostle Paul continues on to say, because they did not honor him or give him thanks, they became fruitful in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The word fruitful means that their thinking no longer functions in the way that it's supposed to. So have you ever heard the phrase, common sense is not too common? That's, in other words, we no longer know how to think. Because our minds have not given its fruit. God gave us a mind and a conscience to use to glorify him. But because of our sin, our mind is no longer working as it should be. So then we become, then, our minds were created to worship God. We use our minds instead for evil things instead of for good. So, in other, so now, in other words, we have opened Pandora's box to believe anything. Um, G.K. Chesterton, the English writer, says this, When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They become capable of believing in anything. So this opens the door to any types of beliefs. Like God, like for example, the first, the first um, um, dis- destruction is that we believe that God does not exist. So we're denying our own reality. And the reality is that God exists. So no wonder why people in today's time say that a man can become pregnant. It's no wonder why today in society that a woman could become a man. And no wonder in society today where all this, this, this stuff that you see that doesn't make sense is happening because of denying the reality that they exist in. 
They are what Satan promised Eve that it will be. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. You then will have the ability to determine your own reality. But we know, as one of um, a conservative author um, writer said, reality will always win. So then what happens? So now they think that they have actually ascended. But the Apostle Paul, if you notice, is showing that man is descending. Man is becoming downward in a spiral of this. Man thinks that they have done better without God. But Paul is showing us that that's quite the opposite. So the teachers in class evolution that man has evolved. But in reality, man has devolved. And I like how Warren Worsby puts it in his commentary. He says this, This section does not teach evolution that man started low and climbed high. But de- but de- de- evalu- I know I was going to have trouble with this. But de-evaluation, de-evalu- I think so. Evalu- Anyways, you, guys, you understand. Yeah, de- yeah, devolution. He started high and because of sin sank lower than the beast. We were created as the ultimate creation. We are God's ultimate creation. We are higher than the beings, even higher than the angels. But sin has brought us lower, and in Roman Rusa says, even lower than the beast. Look at verse 22. And they become, and claiming to be wise, they become fools. So if you listen to our, our society today, they'll say, man is wise. Man is smarter than ever. Look at us. We are, the, we are the top. Man, we are better than better. But the Apostle Paul is telling us, claiming to be wise, they become fools. And what does the Bible mean by foolish? When the Bible uses the word fools, it refers to unwise people. What that means is that people don't have the ability to handle life's problem. Wisdom means to be able to navigate life, to apply your knowledge to life situation. Because you can have knowledge of something and be unwise. For example, why don't you give a five-year-old a razor? Because he doesn't know how to use it. He knows that it's used to cut the shave here, but if you give it to him, what happens? It's going to cut his face up. He doesn't have the wisdom. In the same sense, the Bible is telling us that our that people today do not know how to handle life's problem. And we're seeing it. Today, they did a study that the suicide rates among young girls has risen 130%. Loneliness is at its all-time highest ever in our society. Suicide rates, murder rates, all of that stuff that life gives us People no, long, no, no, longer, no, no, no longer know how to handle. And even though we have all of these experts, all of these mental health experts and medicines and pills, why are we so depressed? Why are we so angry? We claim to have everything, right? We, we, we have a doctor to affirm this gender. We have a doctor to affirm this. And we have, you know, psychologists and we have 
therapists and we have you know medicine if you want to lose weight, if you want to do this, if you want to do that. Why is none of that working? Because the Apostle Paul is telling us, claiming to be wise, they become fools. And I like the word claiming. They're boasting about their foolishness. So in other words, it's idiots with PhD telling other idiots with PhD that they're smart. That's our world today. That, um, that we live without the skill set or the talent to handle life's problem. They claim they have all the solution and answers to life's problem, but solutions don't work. I've been a big follower of uh, Thomas Sowell, and he writes a lot about economics. And he was saying that all these programs to prevent poverty has been counterproductive because we have more poverty now than what we did before the governments got involved and before all these social programs came into play. So because they can't handle this life problem, they need something to cope. Because life is miserable. And life has become more miserable. So you need something to cope. How do I just get through life? So as a result of that, instead of turning to God for hope, they become idolaters. They become addicts. Look at verse 23. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and reptiles. Other translations have creepy things. So reptiles is like bugs, incense. So instead of worshiping and turning to God, they turn to the lesser themselves, animals, beasts, bugs. So they worship that instead of worshiping the creator who lives forever. So they become, so their worship is distorted. They begin to become idol worshipers. And to be an idolater is to trust and create things rather than creator for hope, happiness, Significance and security. I like how Cruz's website identifies or describes idolatry. They say, anything we serve, love, desire, trust, fear, and worship, apart from God to give us love, joy, peace, freedom, status, identity, control, happiness, security, fulfillment, health, pleasure, significance, acceptance, and respect. Notice in this definition the give and the get. Transitional nature of idolatry. In idolatry, a person serves a God to gain what only the true God can ultimately give. To say it another way, idols are functional saviors that people turn for when only God can provide. So they become idol worshipers. And you don't hear that word anymore, idolatry. So they come up with a new, more scientific word, which is another word of saying addicts. Because what is an addict? An addict is going to that which he thinks will fulfill him. I turn to sex, to cigarettes, to drugs, to give me the satisfaction that only God can give me. So the Bible says idolatry, but we say now addicts. And Ed Walsh's book, one of my favorite books that I'm reading, says in his book, Addicts, A Banquet in the Grave, he claimed that the root 
of addiction is a distorted worship. Because we have distorted our worship, we have then served and loved that which is created instead of him who created us. When people don't worship the true God and, and find their meaning and happy and fulfillment, they become addicts. Which is what Paul says in, in his verse 24. Look what he says. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to this honoring of their bodies among themselves. But here's a key, here's a key first. God gave them up, meaning God released them. God says, fine, if that's what you want to go, go ahead. In other words, he's removing his common grace. I just want to say that common grace is God's restraining sin so that sin doesn't take full effect and we become all like Hitler's evil people. So God restrains sin to allow human flourishing to exist. But when God removes that, that common grace, he gives us over to our passion. But here's a key word, verse 24. In the lust of their passion, of their hearts. To lust means to have an uncontrolled desire or passion for something. It's meaning to be dominated by that addiction. So whatever you lust for, you can never have enough of. You would do anything to gain or to get that which you lust after. This is our world today. Look at our TV screens. Look at our social media. It is full of people with uncontrolled compassion for something besides God. Sex, money, fame, power, pride, anger, gym, whatever it is. So, so what Paul is telling us, that God has given them up so that they no longer have any self-control. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I believe, says that in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, ego, um, egotistic, without self-control. Look at how our society today, we no longer have any self-control. We have become addicts to the things of the world. But Paul explains in a further by telling us that people have, have gone to the extreme of denying what is natural and what is real. God gave us creation so that we can enjoy it, not so we can worship it. But instead, we have become idol worshipers, servants of ourselves and our, and our, ple- and our pleasures. So, I just explained to you man's inability to live without God and the destruction nature of that. So now, can man live without God? And their answer is no. Why is that? Because what I said earlier, because we're made in the image of God. To be made in the image of God means that we have an awareness of who God is. God created a world in which he placed man named, a man named Adam, who is a representative. He told Adam what type of world he lived in who he was, and what to do in this world. In other words, God, when created Adam, he gave Adam who you are, you're made in the image of God, you're a human being, what to do in the world, which is to cultivate and work, and how to live, in other words, our morality. One of the questions that philosophers ask is, who are we, where are we going, and what, and what, and how, and what to do? Well, God gave that answer to Adam in the book of Genesis. And because of that, 
We owe our obedience to him. We were made covenant beings. We were made in, with, a, with an awareness of who God is. And therefore, we were made to enjoy him. But the problem is that sin has cheapened life. Life is cheap. Life is miserable. And instead of enjoying life, we don't enjoy life any longer. Because we were not made to enjoy solely the things of the earth. And, and, so, for, and, even, and so pleasure has become a cheap, short-lived thrill. Instead of everlasting joy and pleasure, it is short and short-lived. And I like how C.S. Lewis puts it. It would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an arrogant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offering of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Because we are made in the image of God, we are made to enjoy Him. And because we are made to, in His image to enjoy Him, God therefore entered into a covenant with us. That means that we owe our obedience to Him. This is why God condemns man. Because man have broken their covenant. They have broken their contract. And the only way that we can find enjoyment and pleasure with God is through covenants. It's by God coming to us and making a pact with us. But because of our love of sin, we no longer want to continue in that covenant. So I want to end with two points. Because of that, because of, of, of our relationship with God, Herman Bobbitt said there's two things. There's a universal need for salvation, and there, there's a universal need of a mediator. So the first, because of our sinful nature, we need to be saved. Salvation needs to happen. Why doesn't God save animals? Because they're not made in the image of God. Why doesn't God save angels and demons? Because they're not made in the image of God. God saves man because we're made in his image. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that because of our sin and our trespasses, Ephesians 2, 1, our hearts are desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. Since it's true, God through the Apostle Paul brings a charge against mankind. You know, Romans 3, 10 to 18. So this is what book of Romans is about. From 18 to 3 is God charging man saying, you are all our universal sinners. Therefore, from chapter 4 and on, God provides that universal savior. So he's explaining to them their condition. He's saying, you guys have sinned. Therefore, there is none who is righteous. There is none who seeks after God. And because that is true, all of us are in desperate need of a savior. And the Savior is Jesus Christ, who God provided for us to give us redemption. And because Christ is the only person who lived perfectly and obeyed God's law, died for us on the cross, we had that universal Savior. 
Therefore, we have our universal mediator. So there is a universal need for salvation. There must be a universal need for a mediator. Someone to stand in the gap between God and man. But the problem is that mankind has tried to do it themselves through their own religion. Here's what Herman Barbic says. The way of salvation accordingly has a character of its own in scripture. Like redemption is fundamentally different from what is recommended in the world's religion or its system of philosophy. There's not a single religion in which the idea of redemption and the way of to uh, um, representation is eternally lacking, whereas the arts and the science may be powerful weapons in the struggle for existence, and culture may serve to make human life more pleasant and to enrich it. They are powerless to bring human beings life, lasting happiness, and an eternal good. Yet, this is what humans constantly and everywhere look for in religion. Mankind is seeking and finding a way to end their misery and pain. So this is why man cannot live God, because they're constantly trying to solve the dilemma. But the problem is, their solutions is not working. Their religion is not bringing about satisfaction and the need that they actually desire. The human heart is created for God in his rest, in his rest until it finds his rest in him. But they're trying to do that apart from God. Bob continues, one must immediately add, however, that in the darkness of our understanding and the evil thought of our hearts, we seek him not in the right way and not, in, not where he may be found. Pagan religions have no a concept of the holiness of God. They lack the correct insight into sin and now and know for no grace. Insomuch as they do not know the person of Christ, they hold the way of works to be the way of salvation. Therefore, there is, no, there is a need for someone to restore mankind's broken relationship with God. Someone has to reconcile God to man. God, out of his merciful character, did not leave man in his estate. As the Shorter Catechism, chapter 20 say, um, states, did God leave mankind to perish in the state of sin and misery? God, having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life, did not enter, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the state of sin and misery and to bring them into a state of salvation by a redeemer. God knew that man needed a redeemer. A mediator between him and mankind. Job recognizes that when he says in Job 9.33, if only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together. Bobby points out that believing mediation is a universal, but this mediator cannot be a mere man because all have sinned. Romans 3.23. So therefore, God had to provide a mediator to restore that broken relationship and end that misery. So this is why only Christianity could answer that dilemma because only Christianity offers the hope and confidence that only Christianity can offer. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ. So although man tries to live without God, they cannot help but to live for God. And that is through his son, Jesus Christ, who he sent on our behalf.
Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who you have sent on our behalf. We pray that you have given us life. Help us to know you so we can serve you and love you and obey your commandments. Help us that we may live for you and not for ourselves. And that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.